0: Hello. Hello. Um, it is wonderful to see you here in the room. Um, it's great to see people returning, but also to see new faces that we, you know, some of whom we met on on Zoom, etc. now to see in the flesh. And it's also wonderful to have you guys joining us online as well. Um, it's still great to have you guys connected with us. Um, If we've never met before, my name's Anna. I'm part of the team at KXE. And as Pete said, we've just finished our series on the Psalms where we're looking at how do we process life with God well, using the Psalms as kind of a, a springboard for that. Um, and if you missed last week, what I'm about to show you might slightly go over your head, however, um, feel free to go look and listen back to the talk from last week if you want the full comic effect. Um, because Colin Hamilton took a bit of audio from Pete's talk last week, and he put it on overlaid it over a video. And um, if you do not like horror films, feel free to turn away now. So hear Don't hear anything. Come on. Oh, it was a wonderfully profound talk. <laughs> but my goodness, I sat at the back of that talk and I was like, this is creepy. He told this wonderful story about his daughter calling out in the night, but like it was weird. Um, Anywho, he's learned his lesson. Um, So we're between series. So I've been given free reign to speak on whatever I want to speak on this week, which is always a dangerous thing. However, what I've chosen to speak on today is pretty safe, actually. I want to speak about Jesus. And you might be thinking, my goodness, Anna, but don't you speak about Jesus every week? And my answer is, I hope we do. But my reason for wanting to speak about Jesus is about the certainty that he provides. Um, There are lots of things uh, at the moment, where, which feel uncertainty and it feels like everything is up for debate. There is deconstruction, there's questioning of faith. And honestly, I'm all for questioning faith. I think it's a really important, healthy process. But the thing is, with, with, as Christians, there are some absolute things that we can say as Christians. Things that we profess, that we believe, and ha- that make us Christians and things that define us as a family. And we've been saying as Christians for 2,000 years. And if you are here today or you're watching online and you don't have a faith, um, I want to invite you to consider some of the statements that I'm making today of the professions of faith that we make as Christians and consider them. In the last 18 months, and you're going to be bored of this phrase, um, but we've undergone a lot of uncertainty, haven't we? And it has taken all sorts of toll on our emotions, but it's also taken a toll on our minds. And I felt like this last year for me has been like walking um, through darkness. There's been uncertainty and questions everywhere. And it hasn't just been COVID, all that the death of George Floyd churned up, the beautiful and the ugly, the conversations around mental health, questions around human flourishing, the climate throwing up, extreme weather, and now Afghanistan, it's feeling like this this pressure that I've got to be an expert on everything. And sometimes that's an internal pressure. And rightly, we want to learn and educate ourselves, but all the time we're trying to grasp our, um, concepts and opinions that then seem contradicted elsewhere, and we're trying to do this at speed while we're churned up with our own emotions and trying to filter other people's as well truth has at times been presented as a subjective reality and facts have been treated like lies and when we ask questions sometimes they are aggressively shut down and there's no space for conversation and nuance just isn't a thing and honestly I have felt overwhelmed not just in my heart but in my head my mind has been on overdrive And among wrestling those questions, I've also had my own questions. Questions um, from my own situation of like, what is the church when we can't gather together? How strong are we? Having to rethink every single month what activities we're doing, why we're doing them, how we can do them. Seeing a huge wave of generosity and activism from people outside of the church. And then asking the question of, well, what the heck, does that? how does that make the church different? How Asking the question of how am I going to walk so many people through such deep pain, the extreme, the depth of pain that people have been going through, but also the sheer number of them. How the heck am I going to help them? It's been not just my heart, it's been my head, it's been on overdrive, and I'm not sure if you can relate to certainty it felt just hasn't been a thing. It's been like scrabbling around in the dark, trying to work out what is right, what is wrong on a macro level and also on a micro level. Not knowing how to respond to situations that are seemingly out of our control and yet finding at the same time that we do have responsibility, that we do have agency, but then overwhelmed by the question of how do I apply that? And honestly, I look back at photos of myself two years ago and I just don't recognize myself. I know I have changed an extreme amount in the last two um, two years and all of us will have done for better or for worse. But one thing I know is that I have undergone some kind of awakening. It's not been a, like a particularly pious one but it's an awakening that has occurred when all uncertainty has been stripped away. It's not even been emotionally led. It's been actually a very rational journey for me. And it started because the one thing I realized that was certain and was secure, that was, had any steadfast, was Jesus. As I watched everybody else around me, including Pete, falling apart, melting down, I realized there was no one else I could rely on. Realizing that I just did not have what it took to get myself through this crisis, let alone other people, walk other people through it. Realizing that there are, while there are a lot of questions, there are some things that actually I can say are true about him and are certain that aren't based on circumstances or culture Now, some of the things I'm going to share with you um, today are going to require some theology. And for some people, you're a theological geek like me, and you absolutely love it. Some people hear the word theology, and they're absolutely turned off. They hate it. Um, And they kind of count themselves out. But I want to convince you that actually everybody is a theologian. Because at its most simplest form, theology, if you take the word apart, it means theo, which means God. And ology, which means to study or to speak or to talk. So basically, theology is about to speak and to talk about him. And it's, it's not so much, um, the, it's the study of theology is about honing and crafting the types of words that we say about God, trying to find good words to say about him. My lecturer at college used to say, um, we're all theologians, we're not all good ones. And theology, that was meant to be a joke, Um, you just took that as an insult, I'm so sorry. Um, Theology isn't about how many um, words you use, the the vast number of words you use, or the size and the complexity of the words that you use, it's more about their goodness. Are they good words to talk about God? And the truth is, you can find some of the most learned people in the world who are sloppy theologians, and then you can have a conversation with a child and realize that their theology is absolutely spot on. Theology is one of the most, it should be one of the most accessible things because Jesus is accessible. Jesus is the perfect communication of who God is. He is perfect theology. He is the word of God. God himself speaking and communicating his nature. Now all of us have a view of who God is, what he's like and what we believe he'll do. And so much of the time, so many of what has formed our view of God isn't actually Jesus. We've got it from somewhere, but we haven't actually interrogated where it has come from. And I was struck by 1 Corinthians this week. If you you don't know, as a church, we're trying to read the New Testament and Psalms over a year. And you can join us on that journey by going to kxhe.org.uk forward slash bread. Um, But we've been looking at um, 1 Corinthians this week. So if you can bring it up on the slide. And it says this, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul's approach was not to come to the Corinthians with wise and persuasive words, but he was determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. What I want to talk about today is essentially that, Christ and him crucified. Christ, his being and his nature, his, and then his actions, him being crucified. These are kind of two theological concepts, his being and his acts. So firstly, let's look at Christ being. Well, There are no um, credible historians that will contest that a Jewish man lived 2,000 years ago who was a rabbi under Roman rule was executed. There's more evidence for the existence of Jesus than there is Julius Caesar. Um, There is just a historical fact that he lived and he died. The questions in the debates have always been about who he is. Is he the son of God as he claimed he, he was? And Christians have actually answered, um, argued about the nature of Jesus as well. The early church, um, a few hundred years after Jesus' um, death, they were trying to define what, who is this man? How can we describe him to the Greek culture, who are obsessed with this sense of what it means to of nature and being? And they they kind of they fiercely debated it, and they so fiercely debated it that there was one guy called Arius who was an Egyptian um, bishop. And he believed that the son was not as on the same level as the father. And it so wound up Father Christmas, a.k.a. Um, St. Nicholas, that he got up from his seat and he walked across the room and he slapped Arius. And that's how fiercely they debated it, which I just love that story, Father Christmas slapping someone. Um, as, as Jesus walked on the earth, these, they determined that these two natures weren't separate. There wasn't the kind of a God bit of Jesus and then he wore kind of this skin or this cloak of humanity. There isn't a Jesus of Nazareth and then an eternal son of God. They say that actually Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary, he was, he is, and he forever will be the eternal son of God. Now, some of you may nod along and think, yes, Anna, this is like elementary stuff. But in reality, all of us will kind of end up collapsing. When we're using our words to speak about God, we end up collapsing into focusing on his humanity or his divinity. And if we end up focusing on his divinity, we end up with a very ethereal Jesus, kind of all about the spiritual, the invisible God. Or if we um, focus on his humanity, we end up with a very social Jesus, And those those are kind of like a um, kind of quite crude um, ends of the spectrum. But the problem with both of those things, and if we're not careful about the words that we use about God, is that we end up um, committing idolatry. Because if there's an ethereal Jesus who can't actually be known, you can then basically manipulate him as to who you want him to be. If he's not fully revealed, as he's not fully human, as if he's kind of up there, well then we can, we can um, project upon him what we want him to be. And the same is true on the other side. When you ch- detach Jesus from his divinity, he's fair game to be manipulated and projected upon. Because if you ignore aspects of his teaching that of they were in a particular time, you can end up going down a very liberal route which um, separates it from the eternal nature of Jesus. It's basically saying, well, we'll take the gist of his teaching that he cared about the poor. And most of the time, most of the time, what you end up getting is, a, is Jesus ends up reflecting people's political persuasions. Taking Jesus' teaching and using them to justify what we already believe. Emile Durkheim, um, just, he was a sociologist, sociologist. he criticised religion and said basically when you have religion, all you're doing is you're projecting upon it your ideals. And it's a way of society reflecting back its ideals. It's all, it, all it is is simply your individual allegiances um, projected up there. And that's exactly what we do when we separate Jesus' natures. We must decide, who is this man? Who do we say? What are the words we are going to use about him? And what actions are we going to take in response to him? And we're thinking, okay, Anna, this is a lot of theology, but what difference does it make? What difference does it make in my day-to-day life? Well, if Jesus is both man and God, human and divine, then he becomes the leader and the definer of life, morality, and we submit ourselves to him. We follow him rather than use him to confirm our own assumptions. And it's absolutely fine to have raging questions at God. We've talked about that in the Psalms, that actually sometimes when we encounter difficult situations, that it is okay to let out your rage and your anger at God and question him. But how often do we spend um, how often do we end up questioning him and never let him question us? If Jesus is truly um, the Son of God, Then he has a right to question us. And it's tough to imagine that if he truly is the Son of God, that he's not going to lead you into spaces that are challenging for you, where he ends up redefining how you see the world. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything. Jesus is God revealed and he illuminates everything. We follow him. And in a time of uncertainty, allowing ourselves to be led by someone who can be known through his humanity and knows more than you through his divinity, it is the greatest freedom. In a time of uncertainty, that is good news. And the natural question might be, okay, well, that's his being but what and, and to follow him, if you're saying that he's the Son of God, what happens if I don't trust him? What happens if I feel like actually I don't think he's trustworthy, to allow myself to be led by him? And for that, what theology pivots and looks at his actions. See, when we have distance from someone, they're much easier to misunderstand. We can make things up about them, and we do it all the time. We interpret their behavior, and we assume that we understand their intentions. And most of the time, what we're making up is a load of garbage. But in our minds, it's absolutely true. That we end up thinking better or worse about that person based on what we think is going on. And then, for we fix something in our minds. It's so fixed on our minds about that person that we then interpret everything through that filter. And as a passing comment, um, people I think have been doing that forever. But in the last year, we've been doing it on steroids. I mean, honestly, we've been so because we've been disconnected from people. We've ended up making a whole bunch of assumptions about other people because there's been that distance. We're in danger of doing it with our closest friends. We're in danger of doing it with strangers. And we're absolutely in danger of doing it with God. We make up things about God all the time. We really do. As I said it before, we really question the assumptions that we make about him. And part of the reason that Jesus um, Jesus came in the first place was to reveal God. That if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God then his actions really do reveal the character and the nature of God. And therefore, we need to be curious about them. I was in an Uber a few years ago, and um, we started talking to the driver about faith. And he didn't have a faith, but he was curious about exploring other faiths and was just interested in, in them. He said, do you know what? Christianity, that is the cleverest. I was like, why, why would you say that? He said, well, it's very clever for God to come as a human so everyone knows what he's like. That is clever. And I tried to say, so clever that maybe only God could come up with it, but um, it, it kind of tanked. Um, and it was an evangelism fail. But what? Um, but he's kind of right. It's so ingenious, isn't it? That Jesus, what Jesus reveals in his life is what we can say is absolutely true of the Father. There are only some things we can be certain about with God. We don't need to go beyond Jesus. He is the full revelation of the Father, which means the full revealing of who the Father is. And if you notice in the Gospels, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... You'll notice what they don't do is they don't just give you a list of Jesus' ethical teaching. What they're trying to do is introduce you to a person. John uses poetry because he's so fascinated and captured by this person. He's like, I want you to know this man. They're trying to introduce you to the, the person of Jesus. And we have a lifetime to get to know Jesus and to try and kind of peel back our own misconceptions of who, we, who he is through prayer and, and reading the scriptures in humility. But I've got to say something this afternoon. So um, what I'm going to focus on are just really the simple, most basic things of his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that what these three things reveal about the nature and the character of God. And it's simple as that God is with us, God is for us, and God is all-powerful. God, yes, revealing himself as a man is incredibly clever, but it's also a statement of intent. It's a statement of God saying, I am with you. I am wholeheartedly with you that I will be born in vulnerability, in poverty, as a baby. Philippians 2 says, talking of Jesus, it's this um, hymn that Paul writes. It says, who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He poured himself out that we would never have to doubt that he is with us. That Jesus is confirming, Jesus is actually confirming the promise that, they, that God made in Deuteronomy where he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave or forsake you. Jesus is confirming that that has always been true of God. And he's confir- confirming it is true now. And he's confirming that it will always be true when he says, I will send my spirit to you and he will be with you to the very end of time. God is with us. His incarnation, his life is ways that we cannot doubt that he is for us or that he is with us. There's a certainty that comes from it in uncertain times that he is with us. And it comes from that action. So that's his life. What about his death? In his death, we see his perfect love. Continuing that Philippians verse, uh, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself to death. And John very simply says in 1 John, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what true love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus died for us. In uncertain times, we ask the question, am I loved? This is how we know what love is. And in certain times, we wonder, how am I going to love other people? This is how we love other people. And it's, um, I've heard people say that hurting people hurt people, but you kind of want to flip it around and say, well, loved people love people. Learning this way of love, of pouring yourself out, not a love that flatters with words, nor says um, you're absolutely, by saying you're absolutely perfect, nor a love that says um, you're perfect, so I love you, but a love that embraces our failures, and our frailties, and loves us with a sacrificial love of laying down his life, not mere words, but a costly action that is so difficult to find words to convey. I was thinking about that of like, actually his righteousness, that he exchanges his righteousness, that we stand before God as pure and sinless, because he has exchanged his righteousness for ours. That's love, isn't it? Him taking our place. that is love. And in his resurrection, we learn that there is no situation so dark that his light cannot burst out. And in certain times, we will face the question of, is there hope? When everything looks horrifically bad, can God be all-loving and all-powerful? And that's a question a lot of people would have asked um, in this room and outside of this room. And the answer comes when you look at the cross and the empty tomb. Is there a God who loves me? Yes, there is, because there is the cross of Jesus. And is there a God who is all-powerful? Yes, there is, because there is an empty tomb and a God who has um, defeated sin and death. He has triumphed over them. He is ruling and reigning and righteous. And the question is, do we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do we really believe that dead men can rise? That's a fundamental question for us. And it is an outrageous claim to say that Jesus is alive, that he is in this very room, that he is in our rooms at home. That is an outrageous claim. And it's a claim which many in the early church died for, that Jesus was not just resuscitated, that he actually did die and was resurrected. And so one day we will be too. They were so convinced of the certainty of what they had seen that the, the early apostles were all martyred apart from John, who died in prison. And I was caught by this verse in Philippians where Paul says, um, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, which means, will mean fruitful labour for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better. But it is much more necessary for you that I remain in the body. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Those words are incredibly foreign in our 21st century ears. Paul was so convinced of the certainty of the resurrection that he was captivated by this heavenly man, Jesus, who he was and what he had done, that he was torn between the joy of death and serving Jesus' mission on earth. And this was a man who knew imprisonment, he knew beatings, he knew starvation, he knew disease and shipwrecks. He was well acquainted with suffering. He's not a man who's delusional and just kind of living in a, in a palace somewhere. But he was also acquainted with the accolades of status and power. He had a good job. But he ended up saying, actually, all of that is nothing. I will consider all of that garbage rubbish. Let me read what he says. But whatever was gained for me, I now consider a loss for the the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, but coming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know Christ. And when there's lots of questions flying about, and honestly, like, life has never been certain. And we're just more aware of how uncertain it is. And there's going to come a point when we're going to go back into our slight delusion where we think that we are in control of our lives again. But while we're in this liminal space where we can actually have the memory of uncertainty, let us cling to what it is certain. Build upon foundations that won't be buffeted by a storm. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and his, him crucified. Do you know what? I'm very certain of, I'm certain of very little these days. Um, this last year, I've felt uncertain about most things. But I am certain of this, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the son of God, is the son of God. And he lived and he died and he rose again. And I want to know Christ. And I suppose this um, message in its heart is essentially a appeal of, yes, there's the theology and the knowledge of all of that. But knowing him in friendship, nothing compares to that. The man who is the son of God has allowed himself to be known that we might actually know him that we might actually experience the benefits of knowing what it's like to live and walk and talk with God, that that would be the most true thing about us. The thing that defines us more than anything else is that we walk and talk with God. We walk and talk with the one who gave himself for us, who died for us, who gave us his righteousness, who made it possible that we would have full access to come to the Father and who rose again that there might be hope in the most hopeless situations. That is our God. That is the one we get to call friend. It's an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to knowing him, knowing him deeply. That's what this message is about. And... Um, You know what, I I struggled when I was writing this because I was like, everything in me wants to use words like amazing, he's incredible and he's wonderful. But I'm like, do you know what, like all of those words get used for so many different things that just aren't satisfactory for who he is and communicating who he is. And I may have spoken truth and, and some of my words might have been good theology. But none of that is going to make it settle in our hearts like an encounter with the Spirit. And the Spirit's role, the thing that Jesus said the Spirit was going to come and do, he was going to come and reveal Jesus to us, that anyone would might come to know him. And I want to pray that the Spirit would come and reveal Jesus to us who have maybe never known him, but also those who have walked with him for 10,000 years that we might know him better, that we might not project upon him what we want him to be, but actually know him for who he truly is.